You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Romans 13, starting in verse 11, and it says this. And do this, understanding that the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than we, when we first believed. Verse 12 says, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, or not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Verse 14, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, as we um, study church history, God, as we study the people that have gone before us, God, would you impart to us truth? God, we say to you that we're, we're open to you. We're open to, to learning about truth. God, if you you would, would impart your truth to us. We would be so amazed this morning. We would be honored that you would be here. We are honored, God, that you would teach us this morning something about the past, something about how you transform the lives of those who believe in you. So, God, we are grateful to know you. We love you. We do praise you, Jesus. And all God's people screamed, Amen. Amen. Um, I, I, pro- I bet that almost all of you in here could remember the exact second, the exact place, um, it, where exactly you were when, uh, when you learned on November, or excuse me, September 11th, 2001, that planes had crashed into the World Trade Center. Does anybody else remember exactly where they were? I was like, yes, I remember the day, the, the time exactly. Um, because the news was so shocking. It was like, wow, that really happened. And then we had a video footage of these planes flying into the buildings, and it just utterly shocked us as a nation, as individuals. I, I know for me, back in 2001, I was going to seminary, and I was working construction. I was downstairs uh, working construction, and they didn't have power, so there's no TVs, no radios down there. And, I, and so I didn't hear about the events until much later in the day. I went that night to a small group, and on the way to a small group, I was listening to the radio of all these events, got to the small group at the, at the house. It was called Sela. It was like a really early mill small group back in the day. And I got up to this small group and saw for the first time on TVs this devastation that had occurred. And I just remember sitting there with my jaw dropped, staring at the screen and people asking me if I was okay, because I guess the rest of the people had already seen it and already had been shocked and were, had already dealt with it a little bit. But I was just like in total shock watching the television and these events. And, and that, that day for us as, as Americans is, is maybe a, a bit, a small slice of, of the shock that we experienced is maybe a small piece of what the shock that was experienced in the Roman world um, back in the day, uh, the, the date, if you want to write down this date, is, the, the date is 410 AD when Rome, the, the capital of the Roman Empire, at least one of the capitals, we'll talk about that in a second, was, was attacked and, and overtaken, sacked by barbarians, 
by the Visigoths. And they're called barbarians because they were, they were like, oh, they don't speak Latin. And then they're just like, bah, 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 bah. And so their name, their very name means like stupid people that, that are dirty and just like barbarian. You know, when you think about the term. Um, and so when they came to Rome and, and took over the city, imagine the shock, the, the shock waves that went out in history. Maybe d- something like the shock waves that went out in 9-11 and just the other utter shock that the Americans experienced of, wow, we were attacked, but even more so in, in the ancient world because the city was actually overtaken. And there's a lot of history, um, a lot of historians go into, you know, why Rome fell. And I, I may have hinted at a reason last week. I said the ascetic movement, and my friend Adam uh, kind of corrected me on that. I was like, well, that might be a tiny piece of, of why Rome fell, and I would agree with that. And, and historians talk about the economic collapse that happened to Rome, this, this great Roman Empire. Uh, historians talk about how the kingdom was split between Constantinople and Rome. They'll talk about how each individual region and providence had their own governing officials and how it's impossible to govern an entire empire with just a city. And these reasons going into the corruption of Rome. This guy, the guy that we're going to talk about today, his name is Augustine. Anybody ever heard of Augustine? He's a pretty big deal. We'll, we'll get into why he's a big deal in a, in, a, in a second. But he wrote a book called The City of God. I have it up here. It's like a thousand pages. Look at this big book. It's really big, and these pages are really thin, and the words are really small. It's a big book. Any, has anybody ever seen The City of God? I won't ask if you've read it because I start. everyone has started. Well, not everyone. People that have read The, the City of God always are like, yeah, I started it, and I got a little ways. No one's ever finished it. I don't think anyone in the history of the world has ever finished it. Um, <laughs> Anyways, we'll get into that in a second, of, of course, exaggerating. Um, but Augustine, to, to, re, to why I brought him up, is he wrote about the city of God is this comparison with the earthly kingdom of, of Rome and the heavenly kingdom. And he goes into the details of why Rome fell and that maybe it was because of immorality, sexual immorality, the lack of virtues and family, family values, um, murders ha- literally happening in Colosseums for people's entertainment. Um, this idea that, that Rome was a, just a bad place. It was like the whole thing was a red light district, and it was just a bad place. Immorality. One of the things that was going on that I just find so amazing is something called a vomitorium. Has anybody ever heard of a vomitorium? It's this thing that was socially acceptable in this Roman age, this ancient world, where you would party and eat and drink as much as you possibly could, and then everybody would make their way to a vomitorium and throw up all their food so that they could go back out and keep partying and eating. And just imagine if that was the culture of the time. I mean, in our day, in our our culture, we realize that, you know, people that do that maybe are suffering from uh, what we would call bulimia, you know, this unnatural way of treating food, of abusing food, and it's not good, it's not healthy. But that's what Rome was like. Rome celebrated, you know, the sensual pleasures and, and living life in such a way as to just keep getting more and more and more. And, and so that could be one of the reasons uh, why Rome fell. And last week I mentioned that maybe a part of that is the ascetic movement that the Christian leaders withdrew from society and were their own 
little thing on the side. And if you were here last time, that, that, that probably makes a lot of sense to you now as, as this bigger picture is unfolding. And so back to Augustine, this guy that's on the cover of the skillet today kind of looks like Santa Claus maybe or uh, Dumbledore, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> it's a stained glass of Augustine. Augustine, and he is the guy we're going to talk about for the rest of Sunday school, actually, and get into uh, this this period of church history. But at the time when the barbarians were attacking Rome and, and, and moving along the Roman Empire, and Augustine was in what is today uh, northern Africa, and um, barbarians, Visigoths, were making their way to overtake the city that Augustine was in. It's called Hippo is the name of the city. And as as... As barbarians are coming and destroying, making their way to various cities, they're on the way to Hippo. It's found out that two bishops in a neighboring city were killed. uh, Their heads were cut off, sent to Hippo. Augustine may have seen these heads himself, and he is afraid for his life. He is the bishop of Hippo. Um, Some of Augustine's, um, the people that are under him, come to Augustine and say, hey, Augustine, you need to leave. You need to get out of here. They're, they're coming. They're going to kill you. And instead of leaving, Augustine says, I need to stay here. I need to continue leading. I need to show courage. And this, this famous quote that Augustine says, he says, um, let no one dream of holding our ship so cheaply that the sailors, let alone the captain, should desert her in time of peril. And, and Augustine it has been transformed. We're going to talk about Augustine's life. And he wasn't always this great Christian man that did this great thing by staying in this city um, and continuing to leave in, in the face of peril. Augustine's life was transformed, and we'll talk about that. But uh, as a side note, I think courage is, is something that we don't talk about too much as Christians. We, you know, we talk about other things, other virtues, but courage is is of the most important virtues. It's, it's listed as, um, I'll, I'll say it this way, Revelation 21 lists various sins and how those people that partake in those sins will be punished. The, the murderers, the vile, the immoral, uh, the immoral, the, the liars, the adulterers. But the very first in that list, as, as a way of a side note, are the, the cowards. Cowards make this list first, as in those that, that are not holy and doing the things of God. And so, Augustine here, um, in, this, in this time in life when there was transition, in this time of life that, that um, Rome was falling, Augustine shows courage and he shows godly courage and, and leads in a very godly way. We're going to talk about him and his transformation. But before we do so, some announcements. I know you love announcements. Um, let's see, we just have a few. If you're new to Sunday School... Welcome to Sunday School. We are so glad that you're here. Um, we have visitor cards on the table. If you want to fill one of these out, you can. You can bring it to the people um, that are out in the lobby as you leave. You'll get a CD of some of our worship music that we record on a Friday night. Um, and, and the Friday night, if you've never been to The Mill, that's our main uh, gathering for college students and 20-somethings at New Life Church, and so it's more of a service, whereas the Mill Sunday School is more of a teaching, more of a lecture. We don't do worship. It's kind of a service in that um, there, there's, you know, we talk about the Bible and, and Christian things, and, but it's more a time of lecture. It's Sunday school, emphasizing the word school there. But anyways, uh, other announcements. Um, next month, if, if you have these cards, 
um, these cards, kind of a bookmark. It goes up until, this is the last one. This is the one you've been looking at um, all these months. It goes up until February, which today is the last Sunday in February. So we're going to conclude our talk about early church history. And so next month, everybody say next month, we are going to talk about the book of Acts. Um, yes, I love also the book of Acts. So, and we've, br- we've thought the book of Acts is so important with its uh, history of the early church. We've thought it's so important because it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what salvation means, the early church and the missionary journeys of Paul and Peter. And so we're actually going to spend two months on the book of Acts, Acts part one, Acts part two, but we're not going to do that right in a row. So you're not overwhelmed with the book of Acts. Um, I think in, let's see, it would be April is, uh, excuse me, uh, March is the book of Acts. Then in April, we're going to talk about world religions, which should be fun comparing Christianity to the major religions of the world. Then in May, uh, we'll, 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 in June, we'll go back to Acts part two. May is the Middle Ages church history. July is narrative theology. We're going to talk about the whole of the Bible and how the whole story makes sense in the light of Jesus and salvation and God's plan. And then in August, we're going to talk about women of the faith. We're going to have various women uh, guest speakers uh, talk about faith and women in the Bible. And so, yeah, because we're fans of women. Anybody else like women? All right, sweet. Um, Kind of a weird question. Probably could have worded that better. Um, But anyways, uh, so those are announcements. Just a sneak peek of what's coming. We'll print some more of these um, later. And so uh, we'll have the updated ones soon. I think they're green, representing the springtime, because spring is coming. So those are the announcements. Uh, welcome to Mill Sunday School. Let's continue talking about Augustine and this period of church history um, around 400-ish AD when Rome was falling. And Augustine, here he is, uh, he's often uh, in various paintings and artwork portrayed as someone usually with a pen in his hand. He was a big writer. Um, I'll go into the, uh, how much he wrote in just a second. And then in, sometimes in his other hand, he's holding a heart. Can you see that from where you are? It's a heart and it's an on fire, a burning heart, usually representing, symbolizing his ardent love for God, which pers- persists in all of his writings. So that's Augustine there. And Augustine has a huge legacy. Um, um, how many of you have heard of him again? Lots of you? Yes. He is this huge writer in, in, in early church, and his writings continue on into today, forming a lot of Christian theology. And he frames, I think one of his biggest things, is, is that he frames a lot of arguments and, and, and theologies for our time even. And, and so frames them in the, in the early church, and then we're continually looking at what Augustine said and how he interpreted things. But his name is... Augustine Aurelius, and he's Augustine of Hippo. That's his city that he was a bishop in. Look at the dates that he lived, uh, 354 to 430 AD, and his name is pronounced Augustine or Augustine, which is an important lesson that I learned when I was back in the day, I was in a seminary taking an early church history course and uh, uh, we had to do, like, the, as our term paper, we had to write a 15 to 20 page paper on someone in the early church. And we were given this huge list of all these different names of people in the early church that we could pick and then do a 15 to 20 page report on them. That's quite a long paper, by the way. Um, and so I looked through this list, and the only name I saw that I recognized was Augustine. So I was like, oh, sweet, I'm going to do my paper on Augustine. But it turns out that a lot of other people also wanted to do their report on Augustine. The teacher 
teacher already knew that. So and so, not everyone could do the report on the same guy. Only uh, two, at the most, two people could do a report on the same person. And so, at the beginning of the second class, the teacher said, "Okay, uh, let's sign up for who you want to do your report on, and only two of you can do your report on Augustine." And I had never heard his name pronounced, Augustine, always Augustine. And so he said, who wants to do their report on Augustine? And like two or three people raised their hand. And he said, you know what? All three of you, you can do your report on Augustine. And, and then I was like, oh, sweet. So then later in the class, I signed up for Augustine. And the teacher pulled me aside and was like, hey, you can't sign up for Augustine. And I was like, uh, I was like wait, I thought the other people raised their hand for Augustine. And the teacher just looked at me like I was an idiot. Because I was, because it's the same guy. And, and so hopefully you'll learn the lesson that I learned and never make the same mistake I made, that Augustine and Augustine are the same guy. And um, so now you know. Um, you probably all get this magazine every month. You know, you're waiting by the mailbox for your monthly subscription to Christian History Magazine. But Christian History Magazine uh, said that Augustine, that is is the third most influential person in all of Christendom after Jesus Christ, after Paul, the author of so much of the New Testament. They said, and it's of course just an opinion, but they said that Augustine is the third most influential Christian for our age. And I would, as, as I'm giving this lecture and as I have researched Augustine and what he has written and so many things, I may lean towards agreeing with that statement that Augustine is probably one of the most influential people in Christianity that has ever lived. And that's what a great honor, what a great legacy that Augustine has. And what, as part of it is because he just wrote so much. Um, he wrote five million words. Any idea how many words that is? That's a lot of words. Um, over 350 um, sermons have been preserved of his. There's a famous saying by St. Isendor of Seville. He said, uh, and he said it right around uh, Augustine's time in 500s, just a, a few years after Augustine died, that a person who claims to have read all of Augustine is a liar. It's like you just can't, he wrote so much. And five million words. As some of you know, I wrote a book, and I counted the words in my book. And my book, uh, the College Adventure Handbook, has 36,000 words. Nowhere near five million words. And so, way to go, Augustine, for writing so much. And it's not just that he wrote so much. So much of what we have is quality work. I'm going to go through a few... um, Quotes that, that you probably have heard before, and maybe you did or did not know that they were Augustine's quotes. This is a plaque that we have in our house, because Erica, is a, my wife, is a, a worship leader. And um, it's in our laundry room, so it's, it's not like in the front room. But still, it's hanging in our house. Um, but it says, he who sings prays twice. That's a quote of Augustine. Some other quotes, uh, maybe you've heard this one. He says at one point, and we'll talk about this quote and when he says it later, he says, give me chastity and continence, but not yet. Have you heard that quote before? Like, allow me to be free from my sin, but not yet. I'm enjoying it too much is the idea. And we'll get into when he says that. He says the quote, uh, habit, if not resisted, soon becomes necessity. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, Maybe you've heard this, pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended upon you. Um, he, he, he is uh, given the credit for this quote, love the sin, uh, excuse me, <laughs> love the sinner, hate the sin. <laughs> um, 
yeah, make sure I said that right. Lo- love the sinner, love the person, hate the sin. Um, the quote on the back of the skillet is something uh, that maybe um, that you may have heard before. This is right after he converts to Christianity. He says, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. And so we have all these writings of Augustine, these great books uh, of him uh, that he wrote, like the City of God and these huge treatises on theology. And, and just a note about that, that, that he worked on his language. He worked on communication. Back then it was something called rhetoric. And he studied rhetoric, the way in which you say something and saying it better, which is just something as we as Christians should should work on that. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to all of you right now that, that we should work on being better communicators, whether we're just hanging out with our friends or whether we're Facebook or Twitter posting or whether we're writing an email or whether we're even writing a school paper, that, that we should work on becoming better communicators because communication does matter and, and it will go down in history. What is written down will be recorded and, and other people will read it. And, and maybe Augustine never knew that we would be talking about him uh, 2,000-ish years later in the Mill Sunday School, more like 1,500 years later in the Mill Sunday School, but we are and we're looking at his writings and, and the time that he poured into making his words count um, did not go unnoticed. And so, um, so that, that, that's that. That's some of the quotes of Augustine. One of his favorite ideas that I like is that he says that, um, he says, uh, to quote, that the heart is restless before it rests in God. Maybe you've heard the idea of our sermon about how we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart. How many of you have heard that? that phrase? That's Augustine's idea that, that we are all, that we have this, this void in our life, a void in our heart that can be only filled by God. And so that's Augustine's work. He goes on to talk about um, free will and, and, and sovereignty and um, he talks about the problem of evil and how goodness is from God and evil is not a thing. Evil is a direction away from God. And I've, I've taught that before as I've taught about the problem of evil, that evil is like cold. There's no such thing as cold. Cold is just the absence of heat. Like evil, there's no such thing as evil in and of itself. It's just the absence of good. And so the, I have to credit Augustine for those ideas. Augustine also, one of his big ideas... Um, in his in his works, um, uh, I'm looking at right now one of his works that I have in this book um, on Christian doctrine. He goes into talking about um, the origin of sin, and he goes into in another of his books, Confessions, that we'll talk about. He goes into talking about how we inherit sin from either a literal or figurative Adam and Eve that went before us, and they messed up, and the world is now in in a in a bad place because people before us messed up all of humanity messed up and how we inherit sin in this book confessions he goes on to talk about how babies are cute and cuddly because they look cute and cuddly however if they had enough power they would be evil (laughs) and and babies little kids need to learn uh, how to share their natural inclination of babies is not to share. It's like mine. No, you need to teach them to share. Um, that, that of course, and he goes into, and of course babies are innocent and beautiful and, and, and nice, and they do have the image of God inside of them. But with all those good things, there is um, evil 
inside of the original sin inside of all of us when we come into this world because of the mistakes that were made by humanity that has been passed on and our world is now unperfect. God made it perfect. It is, it is unperfect now um, and so on and so forth. So Augustine frames some of these things and whether you want to talk about literal or figurative Adam and Eve and the history, um, those things are up for discussion. But this idea of original sin is something that we usually give credit to Augustine for. Enough about that. He talks about free will. Um, here's a, a, the picture of uh, Neo having to choose the red pill or the blue pill. The, and going, but this whole movie, if you've seen it, if you haven't, maybe you should. I don't recommend movies very often, but I think The Matrix is this idea that's played out of free will versus sovereignty and being chosen versus becoming the one. And uh, Augustine has a lot to write about that. He says that, of course, God is sovereign, but we do have free will. And Augustine's to be credited as as, as theologian, maybe first describing this, this idea of free will versus sovereignty and going into a lot of work and discussion about that. Um, in fact, he's oftentimes, some of you know Calvinism. Have you heard of Calvinism and how the sovereign God is sovereign? You, there's the five points of Calvinism. Calvin, more than any other scholar, quoted Augustine and, and Augustine's d- debate over sovereignty versus free will. And of course, Calvin goes more towards the sovereignty side and and, and if you're a Calvinist, you believe that things are predestined and you may uh, not have free will. But that, that's probably for another time. But this, this bigger point that Augustine is to be accredited with, with that theology. Um, and the, the, the next thing is the Trinity. Augustine wrote a, a whole treatise called On the Trinity, which um, is arguably the greatest theological work of all time. You've probably heard about it, bits and pieces here and there. He describes the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as the lover the beloved and love itself. And he goes into this amazing analogy that, that maybe you've heard before of what the Trinity is in this description. He frames this, the, the who the Trinity is, our God, is three persons yet is also one in the same time. And the, how that is mis- mysterious, but it, but it is. And so we can describe some of it, and, but not all of it. So Augustine is credited with, with forming thoughts about the Trinity. Um, and, and finally, not just all these theological things, but Augustine was a founder of the Augustinian uh, priesthood or the Augustinian order in which um, you lived your life in such a way as to be a a monk or a nun. And (coughs) you lived your life according to certain principles, rules, in such a way that you lived a holy life. And, And Augustine lived that way of life and kind of formed the Augustinian order. And so not just a theologian. Sometimes we have this idea that, oh, theologians are these just guys that, that know everything but may or may not live it out. Well, Augustine had, had both. He lived out his faith as well as being able to talk about it very well and, and going to, into depth with it. And the idea that I want to come to today, the idea that's the, the last point on our notes, uh, we're not there yet, but this idea of transformation. And so as we as we talk about Augustine's legacy, and then we're going to talk about his life. I want to talk about the word, the idea of, of transformation, specifically Christian transformation, how, how it is that we as Christians believe that God is the one who transforms us. We do believe that, that Christianity isn't just about believing something or knowing something to be true, but we do believe that by knowing it and by believing it, we're changed from the inside out. And that is how that, that's this basis of our faith that, that, that it's not just that 
Jesus dying on a cross for our sins isn't just something, oh, we know about that. And since we know about it and we kind of agree with it, then it's, oh yeah, we're Christians now. Well, if that's really true, then, then the power of Christ, the power of God will transform you from the inside out. And so Augustine's story, and what we'll get to today, is Augustine growing up under the, you know, the, as the fall of the Roman Empire was happening, and he's kind of this last theologian of this age, of the early church. Um, that's important, but his story, this story of transformation, is so important. And I think it's the message that maybe you'll leave here thinking about, this idea of the transformation that's happened in your own life, or maybe will happen in your own life, or the hope that you have for a transformed life, or how you work out your life, and how your life continues to be transformed. And so that's the, the bigger idea today. So I want to ask you the question, and maybe you could talk about this just briefly um, with people around you. Um, how do you think transformation happens? And specifically, there's a lot, you could, lots of different directions you can go with that question. But for you, in your own experience, how has transformation happened for you? And specifically, I want to, if you can, die, you know, pinpoint your argument to maybe spiritual transformation or, or life transformation um, how have you seen it, seen it maybe in other people? Or how have you seen it in yourself where, whereby which you've been transformed? Does it happen all at once? Does it happen over time? How does transformation happen? And maybe that's, uh, if you want to pinpoint a discussion, how does transformation happen? Is it all at once or is it over time? What could be a good question. So, discuss it. Probably many of you in your, uh, in your talks said that, uh, how many of you would say transformation happens, spiritual transformation happens all at once? How many of you said over time? How many of you didn't vote? <laughs> yeah, it, I, think, I think the answer could be yes to any, any one of the transformation, especially spiritual transformation, can happen all at once. And we're going to talk about Augustine's story. And for him, it was um, maybe a little bit over time, but he has a conversion experience whereby which his life changes. And, and maybe Augustine would be more to a radical transformation at one point. He went from, um, we'll go into his story in a minute, but I think some of us have these experiences in our life where our life is transformed and, and it's, it's something that God does. And it's not to say that you know Christianity has... The, the monopoly on transformation. I think of other things, uh, alcoholics being overcome, overcoming alcoholism by the 12-step program, or I think of other things like that by which transformation does happen in people's lives and they go from darkness and, and sin and, and mistakes to a life of uh, transformation of, of good and, and, and a positive direction in their life. And, and of course, Christianity doesn't have a monopoly on that, but I would argue that 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 is one of the basises of Christianity, that that is something that is so important to our religion is that we don't just have to, we don't just know about Jesus, we experience him and our life is changed for, forevermore after an, a relationship with our creator. And so that's, that's kind of where we're going today as we talk about Augustine. That's the bigger point than just talking about an old guy that lived a long time ago. Um, and so here's Augustine's life. We know so much about Augustine because he wrote a book, and it was really a book that, that is arguably the first of its kind. It was an autobiography, and it's not the first autobiography in history, but it's, it's one of the first autobiographies that really go into a person's own feelings and how they were doing and what they were thinking and their own internal battle. I mean, that, that type of 
of writing is so familiar today. I mean, how many of you have blogs and you blog about or you journal about what you're doing and how you're doing it, how you're feeling, the decisions you made. But for, for the ancient world, this is kind of like the first of its kind. And it's so interesting that, that, that Augustine was the one to write about that. He writes um, this whole book. It's, it's basically kind of like his testimony of him growing up and, and how he made a bunch of mistakes for him, lots of sexual mistakes, uh, sexual sins, and then was converted. And he writes about that. And, and the title of the book is called Confessions. Not to be confused with the song, Confessions, by Usher. Or as he's sometimes referred to, Usher, in his hip-hop songs that all you kids listen to. Um, but while Usher is up here uh, in, in picture form, I thought I would talk, uh, compare Augustine and Usher. Augustine probably rolling over in his grave right now, but... Um, <laughs> All the pictures that I could find of Augustine uh, show him as a white dude. And all the pictures that I have, uh, Augustine is a white dude. However, he was from Africa, for goodness sakes. He was probably looked more like Usher than any of the paintings I could find. It's like, it's like when we imagine Jesus as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. It's like, wait just a minute. He was from the Middle East. He probably looked more like a Middle Easterner. But artists' renditions want to make it look more like the artist, and so wh- whatever that's worth. Um, Augustine probably looked more like Usher than any of the pictures you'll see today. But anyways, um, a, a more important, interesting maybe, not important, a more interesting comparison is that Confessions, the book by Augustine, is about how Augustine has an affair with a woman who is not his wife, and he has uh, a baby by uh, an adulterous affair. The song Confessions by Usher these are my confessions. <laughs> right? You probably all go home and listen to it now. Um, is about Usher having an adulterous affair with a woman who is not his wife and then having a baby. So um, who knows? Augustine may be rolling over in his grave that I compared him with Usher, but uh, I, I, do, I do so for, for, for fun, really. Um, so <laughs> anyways, Augustine is often portrayed with his mom. There's his mom. Uh, his mom's name is... Monica, and she was a Christian. She's this woman that prays for Augustine all throughout his youth, all throughout his his days, because Augustine, that was not a Christian, did not agree with Christianity, did not live anything like a Christian. But his mom, Augustine's mom, prays for Augustine his whole life. Um, We don't know too much about Augustine's dad, other than he he was not a Christian until a year before his, uh, his death. Uh, he died when Augustine was 16 years old. But as a kid, uh, we find out in, in Confessions, I've been reading this, that, that he just kind of, uh, just like any other kid, he, his parents pressure him for school and for rhetoric and for learning Greek. But he goes on and on about how he doesn't like learning Greek, how he likes to play with a ball and do other kid stuff and play with the kids. But his parents pressure him to learn Greek, to be a good rhetorician at a, a young age. His parents have a lot of pressure on him. And so he does that. Um, his religion that he quickly finds as, as a teenager is uh, kind of uh, mysticism or Gnosticism. He's into astrology. He's into, a little later on, he's into something called Manichaeism, which is about believing that there's a good God and an evil uh, God or something, and a good source and an evil source, and these things are warring themselves, and that's why there's evil in the world. And so he's not a Christian growing up. He lives a very, um, 
as, as he would say, a, a very sexual, immoral lifestyle. And, and he loves, the, the, loves, loves it. He loves his lifestyle. He loves the sin. And even more, he, on, he talks about, I think it's kind of like bragging in the locker room or something. Uh, he says, I took pleasure not in the pleasure, not only in the pleasure of the deed, talking about having sex with lots of girls. And he, this is like when he was 16. So he took pleasure not only in the pleasure of the deed, but also in its praise. He loved bragging about how many girls he had been with and, and, and going on about details and, and getting praise from his, you know, I, I would in quotes, locker room buddies. Those were the guys he kind of hung out with when he was 16. Very um, sexually um, immoral um, from his own writings. That's what he says about his own life. He, at the age, I think, of 17 uh, or 16, he takes a concubine for himself. And in this ancient Roman world, a concubine, there was, I guess, social stratification between uh, the, the rich and the wealthy and then the very, very poor who were almost slaves to the rest of society. And so Augustine takes a concubine, someone from the low status, and makes um, her his concubine, I guess in, in some way like a sex slave or a prostitute that you would keep and, and you would um, maybe give uh, your, your home to or something or money to, and, and then she would be a, somewhat of a sexual slave. Augustine takes a concubine at the age of 16 or 17 and, and lives with her, has a kid with her, um, <clears throat> and it's just this tale of, of, of immorality. He moves at some point in his life, <clears throat> to Milan and and has his mom comes to him and his mom says dude you need to break up with your concubine and uh <laughs> dude uh sorry I should probably work on as I'm talking about working on um <laughs> speaking better I should probably do that myself uh his mom comes to him and says you need to break up and end this relationship with concubines in this relationship with especially this particular concubine and get married and and live a righteous life and and so his mother praying for him um, wanting him to live a good righteous life convinces augustine to break up with his concubine and he calls her in all these writings he calls her the one the one that he loved and um he breaks up with her sends her back to that he's in he's in milan right now um, in, in Italy, sends her back to Africa. She leaves. She says that she will never again fall in love or marry or be with another man. Confesses her undying love to Augustine. Doesn't really matter. Augustine splits off, breaks off with his concubine, tries, wants to do the good thing, is engaged to be married to a woman. The engagement, uh, I guess for I guess the girl was too young to get married, and so they, they had to wait a certain amount of time. And so in between the time that Augustine broke up with his concubine, and has to, he's engaged, and by the time he's supposed to get married, um, he takes on another concubine. Think about the, the, the bondage that he is in to, to, to sexual sin and, and not wanting to be alone and, and always needing that. He goes into... You know, having to leave his concubine, he writes and goes on and on about how hard that was for him, how, how deeply hurt he was by that. But then just taking on another concubine while he's engaged to be married to another woman, um, he, just, he just repents over this sin and, and finds himself in such a horrible place and knows that it's not the right thing. Um, in the summer of, uh, let's see, 386, he reads 
about this guy. Um, do you remember from last week who this guy is? Anybody? You remember Anthony? Yeah, you remember Anthony. Uh, St. Anthony. He's the guy that gives up. I, I guess I could have put his name up there um, because he just looks like an old guy, like Dumbledore, like a lot of other old guys in the early church history. But um, <coughs> Augustine reads about the life of St. Anthony. And last week we learned that St. Anthony was a guy that gave up everything, sold all he had, gave it to the poor, lived in the desert by himself, became a monastic, an ascetic father who exercised his faith and became um, get, at least given credit for being the first monk. And Augustine reads about St. Anthony's life and how St. Anthony gave up and how Anthony struggled with sins, but Anthony was celibate and how he um, did not give in to sexual temptation and how Augustine reading about this was just torn in two, knowing that there was right and there was wrong. At this point, he was not yet a Christian, at least by conversion. And so here he is, the story, maybe some of you have heard the story or read about the story. If any of you have read the Confessions, um, this happens in chapter 9 of the Confessions, um, or chapter 8, excuse me, um, book 8 of the Confessions. And if any of you want a homework assignment to read uh, Confessions, is a great book to read. Get, get a modern English translation of Confessions. It's Augustine's first-hand autobiography of his own life. And in it, in book 8, he talks about how he's in a garden. This is the story that maybe some of you have heard before. He's weeping over his sin. He's you know just broken up with his concubine, just got another concubine, but he's engaged to be married to another girl. And he's in this mess. And he, he knows that God... Um, he's after reading Anthony and after listening to sermons, he hadn't yet maybe given his life over to Christ as maybe we would talk about in those terms. But here he is weeping over his sin in a garden. I think in this painting, the artist is portraying his mother right behind him, praying over him as she always did throughout his life. And Augustine is, is weeping over his sin. And he hears a voice, he says, of a child. He doesn't know if it's a boy or a girl but of a young child saying, take and read, take and read the Latin tole lege, tole lege. And, and he s- wonders what that is. He says he thinks about, I don't know of any child game where they, they, they say that. And so he, he thinks, well, maybe this is a word from the Lord. Maybe it's an audible voice telling him to, to read. And so he picks up the Bible. He reads the first paragraph he comes to, and it is of the paragraph that we read um, to begin the Mill Sunday School, it says, Let us uh, behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So Augustine, in this moment, he says, he converts to Christianity. He believes, he, he says, yes, it, it is not right that we, I should live like it is dark and in a dark sin of immorality and debauchery but he should clothe him clothe himself with the lord jesus and live in the light and so it's in that moment in that in that garden that augustine officially converts to christianity and his life from then on is transformed this life of augustine that someone that you know breaks up with one woman just to have another concubine why he's engaged in this bondage that he has to, to sexual temptation um, is transformed from that point on. Augustine th- then ends his marriage that he 
uh, cheated on the woman he was engaged to. He says he breaks off the marriage. He becomes a monk. He forms an order, the Augustinian order, and he becomes celibate for the rest of his life. He goes on to write all these books, five million words that we have of Augustine um, after his conversion of all these Christian doctrines, the, the fame, the legacy that Augustine has because he was transformed. And I would say he was transformed, of course, by the power of God. And this is how God works, that God transforms our lives when we are willing to believe in him and believe on him. He then transforms us. And so many of us have experienced that in our own lives. I remember thinking back to my own life of, of high school. And when I was, you know, when my conversion happened and I said yes to God and decided to live for him, God transformed me to this shy, hateful, like very resentful little kid that was always, I just didn't have too much of a conscience. I would do something and make a mistake and treat my family bad or my brother and just not care about it. But after my conversion in high school, I, looking back, I was, I would, I would mess up. I would, you know, I'd yell at my mom or something and then just feel so convicted. I would go and apologize and I was never a person that went and apologized. I was never a person that would, would seek forgiveness. But, but that conversion that happened to me, the transformation that happened to me and continues to happen to, to me. And I think so many of us can, can resonate with that, that, that when we said yes to God, when we converted to, to Christianity, that something happened in our life that was just more than a, a mental or a faith decision, that something from the inside out happened to us and gave us freedom from sin, freedom from, from the bondage of, of, like Augustine, of sexual sin. And that, that so many of us have these stories of, of awesome transformation and, and this new birth that happens. Here's a painting of, of transformation, this, this new birth that can happen when, when, when we are converted. That, that, you know, Jesus talks about it and says, you must be born again. And this, this analogy of of being reborn, of being made anew, um, is what, what, we, what we experience. And so Augustine, to close with these words, the, the quote that's on the back of your skillet, this is the, the further the, the <clears throat> of that quote. It's in Augustine's book, book, book 9, which is the, the book right after his conversion. And he describes that. He says, How sweet all at once for me it was to be rid of those fruitless joys, and those, those joys of, of, of living a lifestyle of debauchery and sin and sexual immorality. It was, it was a joy, of, it was, but it was a fruitless joy. And how sweet it was to be rid of those fruitless joys, which I had once feared to lose. And he's talking to God. You drove them from me, you who are the true sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all the pleasure. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. Let's pray to him, to Jesus, to close. God, we do thank you for, for transformation. We thank you that, that in our own lives, and the lives of those around us, that we've, we've heard stories of, of you doing awesome and amazing things to, to individuals that were trapped and in sin, to individuals like Augustine that were in bondage to sin, and how you, God, transformed our lives, and you made them a great uh, moral, uh, a person with a Christian legacy to live. God, we want that in our own lives. We want to be continued 
to be transformed. God, we, we have been transformed if we've believed on you and we believe that that transformation has occurred. But God, we continue, we, we strive to be transformed more in line with who you are. God, we seek to glorify you, to live like you, to live like the, the words of Scripture tell us to live. So God, we do so with joy. We do so with the uplifted hearts, knowing that you are our God and our joy comes from you. So we worship you. We praise you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, you are officially dismissed. Go in peace. We'll see you next week as we talk about the book of Acts.